As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Chief, it has been a tough couple of weeks for law enforcement. How are you doing today? We're doing okay. We're painted with a broad brush. And we're human beings. This is a profession, a noble profession. When I say we're human beings, we're subject to make mistakes as well, but that shouldn't be reflected on the entire organization or the profession. After weeks of silence, Milwaukee's police chief Alfonso Morales sits down with Fox 6, answering questions about accountability, defunding the police, and changes in policy. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with my colleague, Amanda St. Hilaire. Good morning, Amanda. Hi, Brian. We are recording this episode on Tuesday, June 30th. We're here with Fox 6 reporter Aaron Maben to talk about his interview with Milwaukee's police chief. Hi, Aaron. Welcome back. Hey, good to be back. Aaron, the police chief had not given interviews for several weeks as there was unrest in Milwaukee, um, the protests in Milwaukee um, about police practices that have been going on throughout the country. So first of all, how did you get the chief to agree to do a sit-down interview with you? You know, it had been a sort of an ongoing conversation. Uh, I knew I wanted to interview law enforcement I knew I wanted to interview the chief. So I I think a while ago I'd reached out to the public information officer, you know, wasn't able to happen. And then, to be honest, I got a call out of the blue early last week saying, you know, asking, are you still interested in interviewing a police officer? Of course, yes. Would you be willing to interview the chief? Absolutely. So it, it sort of came out of a known interest that I've wanted and it went from there. Once you get that invitation, essentially say, you know, if you're still interested, do you want to sit down with the chief? Obviously, you don't say no to that. You say absolutely. <laughs> but once you get that, you know that other journalists from Fox 6, not to mention other television stations, newspapers, they want to sit down with the chief as well. So you know going in, this is this is a big interview. How do you prepare for something like that? I felt like I was back in college. Do you remember right before that big exam, all the reading, all the cramming that you did? I kid you not, because I was looking at what we've covered, what we've um, had him say on the record. And then I look at other, I look at our competition. What has he said to them? What has he said to the paper, the other news stations? Uh, What hasn't he said? I always think that is the most important. What hasn't he talked about too? So it's a lot of piecing everything together. What do we have on the record? What do they have on the record? Making sure I get what they have on the record on our record too. So it's it was a lot of studying and um, 
a lot of learning too. In the interview, at, at least to me watching it right from the top, it's pretty obvious what the chief's motivation for doing the interview is. He is making a direct appeal to his own police officers because he's talking about his concerns with people resigning and retiring early. I'm interested, Aaron, in what your priorities were for what you wanted to talk to the chief about and if you were uh, able to hit those areas in the way you wanted to. It is a tough time, no one can argue, to be a police officer, to be a chief of a police department. So I think going in, I really wanted to know how's the department doing? How's he doing? How is he leading this department? And right away, the chief got into the struggles. There's a lot of reasons to find why not to come to work. And they are still coming in. I can't thank them enough. There have been some trying times. And I know we are struggling with uh, resignations and retirements that are coming in early. Do you have a number of how many people have decided to leave early, um, retire, resign? In the, uh, since May 20, uh, I believe it was May 26, we've had 26 uh, sworn uh, from various ranks uh, submit their resignations and retirements. Is there a reason that they have? Is there a reason? Uh, Some of them I can tell you they've come up to me and tell me personally, you know what, I had enough during these times. I don't need to uh, deal with this. Uh, I want to just move on. I wonder, that must be a difficult balance for a police chief because he has multiple constituencies to appeal to. He's got to appeal to the politicians that keep him where he is. He's got to appeal to his own base of employees, the police officers. But then, of course, the biggest constituency, the community that he serves, where he's feeling a lot of heat, that must be a difficult balance. Did you sense that in him, that he is struggling to try to maintain that balance? Yeah, and... Trust was a big part of the conversation, especially toward the end when we talked about what is the department going to look like a year from now? What's the relationship with the community moving forward? And he kept honing in trust, right? And what we're not realizing or some people don't realize is those important community relation engagement encounters that Uh, you know, officers on the streets. We're not seeing that as much because of the times we're living in, because of coronavirus. So they're not having these, you know, big community meetings that have happened in the past. So the chief definitely went into his work to build trust, to gain trust in communities that don't trust police, and did give reasons uh, why, why it's a challenge right now. The phrase defund the police came up in your interview. And depending on who you talk to, that phrase means something different. Some people say, hey, it means we're going to take some of these resources that go into police doing all kinds of things that are actually things we think social workers should be doing. And we're going to reallocate that. You have some people who say we actually do want to abolish police departments. What was interesting to me in your interview with the chief, Aaron, was that the chief didn't seem totally opposed to the idea of reallocating some resources. He said, look, we are open to any conversation. Well, we say it in a couple of different ways. We're always welcome to a discussion, an open, a two-way discussion on seeing what that looks like. We can open up, and we are. We're already looking at uh, ways to uh, to uh, reduce uh, what we do from calls for service, which means what is the police department not going to respond to. Uh, we can look at, uh, at uh, cutting back on different uh, areas of the department. Uh, we've talked about our sensitive crimes division. 
I've already uh, removed a third shift from there from budget cuts in you know prior prior years going into this year, and uh, looking at how we're going to be able to staff police districts. Uh, when you look at that, okay, we're out. You know, we're already uh, going to be removed from the schools. Okay, that's one area we can cut. We can cut from uh, other areas, but understand. When you're talking about cut budget cuts that big, you're talking about loss of, uh, of uh, resources, our ability to respond. And at the end of the day, what is our core function as a police department is to respond to the calls for service. And that's 700 a day that we respond to. And we have up to 1,000 contacts a day, which means let's look at this intelligently because the social service agencies that are going to have to step up, are they capable of doing that? And let's, let's, let's get moving on it. It wasn't as, I guess, tough on that issue because I believe they're preparing or they did say they're preparing for it. So, you know, I think the best way to prepare is not to be blindsided by it, but be a part of those conversations uh, when it comes to defunding. I got the sense in hearing him talk about it. Number one, he's embracing the idea that we're going to have to do something to whether it's to appease those who want to defund us or I, I almost wondered, though, is he looking at this as an opportunity? There are certain things maybe that he thinks that they shouldn't have their hands in. He said something about needing to focus on those calls for service. 700 calls for service a day, hundreds of thousands of calls for service a year. And he said if there's some other functions that these social service organizations can get on, let's get going. He seemed to embrace that concept of sort of handing off some of these duties where some have criticized the idea that police have become sort of the all-encompassing social workers of the community. That's definitely right. We were able to talk to, uh, in this interview, there was also two assistant chiefs. Assistant Chief Regina Howard really went into that, saying that some of those calls, like animal bites or maybe a sick and injured call for someone with a mental health crisis that isn't um, going to harm themselves, isn't going to harm others, those calls are what they're really looking at. So when those cuts come, it's possible that police won't be responding to those types of calls. I noticed a shift in tone in this interview. So uh, our listeners might remember uh, a few weeks ago, it was really the last time the chief answered questions on camera uh, for news outlets, very beginning of June. He gives a press conference where he says, look, people are protesting in Milwaukee over what happened in Minneapolis. And he seems to, I guess, deny that there are fundamental issues in Milwaukee policing. And he goes on to compare law enforcement to Jesus Christ, saying that they were being crucified. And of course, the the claim to fame of Jesus Christ, if that's what you're into, is that he was without sin. So it made me wonder how open is the police chief to actual reform if he's comparing law enforcement to Jesus. And Aaron, in the interview with you, that tone seems to have shifted from something that was almost defiant at the beginning of June to something that was a lot more open. And I do want to talk about that crucifixion comment because I think that was I reached out to a number of people. What do you want clarification on context? A lot of people wanted to know about the statement on the crucifixion. Does he still stand by it? Give me more context, Chief Morales. It's as simple as I stated. It's uh, being painted with a broad brush. 
but more importantly, uh, I've said it over and over, I'm a person of faith. I always bring up my Lord. That day, my daily devotion that I read is, don't be scared to use the Lord's name. Don't be scared to pass that on. And when people say, do you regret it? I don't regret using the Lord and pushing it out. I think this is the time that we have to talk about that. There's so much hatred going on. There's so many people that want to express negative uh, connotations towards people, organization, races, classes, and we forget and have forgotten one of the most important things that are brought up with, that we get brought up with our elders, our families, is our faith. Uh, and I think we need to bring that out there. And uh, as we move forward, I think uh, a point of bringing uh, this community back together, society, is our faith-based organizations. We're going to have to lean on them to, to, to kind of move away from some of this hatred that's going on. That was, at, if, if I recall, was at the height of the, uh, the, the, the early protests, which included the, the nightly issues with vandalism, the nightly issues with uh, violence, uh, stores being looted. And he was clearly emotional. He was frustrated at that time. And, and if I recall in that interview where he used that, that very term, he, he, got pretty, he got pretty animated. And as Amanda mentioned, in the interview with you, granted this is weeks later, and they requested this interview, uh, his, his tone was definitely different. He was much more measured as he talked to you. Yeah, very uh, much more measured. Um, and I think it was, you know, there, there are different moments in this industry. I think that one was, was so tense. Um, they had just, I believe, uh, got people in connection to looting that had happened. This is three weeks later, things have calmed down. So I think he's able to step back and he certainly was more measured and it, it just seemed a bit more comfortable too. And to be clear, the, the controversy over that comment wasn't that he invoked the name of Jesus. It was the comparison of law enforcement to Jesus is what a lot of people took issue with. And so I, I, I do think it's it was interesting to hear, um, you know, his own his own personal reasons behind that comment. Uh, I do want to point out, too, at this point, people listening today uh may have a lot of questions about the recent arrest of activist Vaughn Mays uh, in Milwaukee, who was arrested yesterday. Um, there's been a, a lot of attention to that, and we should take this time to point out that, Aaron, your interview with the chief was done prior to that arrest. So we, of course, didn't have a chance to ask him about that. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but that the police department has said that an arrest of a uh, an activist came from 40th and Lloyd. We were able to talk to the chief about 40th and Lloyd. And refresh us for people who may not yes. be familiar with that. What happened on 40th and Lloyd? There was misinformation that spread on social media, rumors that there were um, there were two missing Milwaukee girls and there were rumors that they were at a house in Milwaukee. Um, that house, neighbors say, police say this is not true, was connected to sex trafficking. So, um, you know, officers had gone to the house several times a day, couldn't find the girl. There was a rumor on social media that they were there. So the community police say uh, took it in their own hands. They ended up breaking into the home. There was a shots fired incident, the home being set on fire and seriously some some unrest and some people displaced from their homes. So we were able to talk to the chief about that and also assistant chiefs about that. 
extremely not happy about what happened there, about the community's handling, and they said that they would be searching for all parties responsible, whether it's destruction or uh, their part in that crime that happened there. And so the the arrest that Amanda is referring to that occurred on Monday of Von Mays, uh, Von Mays and Frank Nitti have both been probably two of the biggest voices in terms of community activism who've been live streaming many of these protests and many of their sort of stream of consciousness thoughts. And on that day at 40th and Lloyd, uh, it is my understanding that Von Mays was very active in his live streaming and some have criticized him for perhaps inflaming or fanning the flames of uh, of frustration that built up until uh, things got to, to the point that they did. Um, so certainly there have been some who've been concerned that maybe he bore some responsibility for that. And now we hear police have arrested him for uh, uh, for uh, something related to trespass or burglary or party to a crime burglary of that, that residence that was ultimately burned down. But again, as Amanda said, that all happened, the arrest all happened after your interview. So you weren't able to ask him specifically about the arrest of Vaughn Mays, but you said that's, that, that issue of what occurred there is clearly a sore spot with police, right? It, it is. And I think it's an example of, again, this, this gaining trust People not believing that officers are doing their best. That's what we were hearing from people. Our reporters were hearing from people on the scene. So they didn't believe officers were doing enough to find these missing girls. So they took it into their own hands. And the chief that night of that unrest of 40 Film Lloyd was like, you guys, investigations take time and they need to be thorough. And he did clarify that officers did go to the home. So it was just another example of communication just not clicking right between uh, people who are involved in something and the police and then other people get involved and then we have situations like that and that is something police say we cannot have anymore again. I do want to talk about police policy because that's an area you covered in your interview, Aaron. It's an area Brian and I have both done a lot of stories about. And there's been a lot of attention lately that Milwaukee Police Department policy does not ban the use of what the public knows as chokeholds. In law enforcement, most police officers will tell you very few people are trained on an actual chokehold. Um, they, they call it a, a lateral vascular restraint that basically temporarily cuts off circulation. I know MPD does not train on any of those moves, but there has been criticism that the policy does not specifically ban them. So what did the chief have to say about that? Well, I think this is something we when we talk about George Floyd and uh, we have to talk about knee to the neck chokehold techniques. And that is something that was like, hey, we gotta ask this in the interview. Uh, The banning of chokeholds, not in MPD's policy. Why is that right now? It's not on our policy. We don't train that. Uh, So what I'm saying is we don't train Mm -hmm. chokehold technique. Uh, We train other techniques, and those come also from the Law Enforcement Training Standards Bureau uh, throughout the state of Wisconsin, so to keep consistent on the training and defense and arrest tactics for our law enforcement. So we don't train that. It's not in our policy. Do you think it needs to be in there at all? Well, uh, as part of the discussions that are coming in, we're going to uh, listen and again, it's uh, to see what uh, some of the recommendations are and go over them. 
Right, because it's one thing to not train on something, but then if if people aren't being disciplined for doing that thing, it, then you're almost essentially allowing it without training. Does it become sort of a tacit support for that thing because it's not explicitly right. banned? Sure. One of those things, um, you know, as a kid, you know, no one told me not to do this. So I'm not, um, I didn't know I was going to get in trouble for it. Um, I think some people would, would say that about it. The other thing that has been brought up in terms of police policy, the Milwaukee Common Council voted unanimously a couple of weeks ago to have the Fire and Police Commission explore adoption of a new policy that would explicitly uh, 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 require police to release a person, release a hold on a person who is saying, I can't breathe. And the, the specific phrase, I can't breathe, was singled out by Alderman Russell Stamper as one that he wanted to be a trigger for police to have to release their restraint on someone. Uh, when I first ran a story about that, uh, there was a reference to an assistant chief who talked to Alderman Stamper and supposedly told him he felt that would be redundant because Milwaukee police policy already requires officers to respond to someone who is in medical distress by calling for an ambulance. And some of that is the outgrowth of previous instances. Derek Williams, who died in the back of a squad car in 2011 while saying he couldn't breathe. James Perry, who died in police custody after saying he couldn't breathe and was told, if you're talking, you're breathing. So since that time, police have started calling for an ambulance anytime someone's in medical distress. And this assistant chief allegedly told Alderman Stamper the policy he's calling for would be redundant. When our story aired, there was some concern on the chief's part that the it wasn't clear it was an assistant chief who said this to Alderman Stamper. And Sergeant Sharonda Grant, spokesperson for Milwaukee Police, contacted me and said, could you make sure that's clear in your story that it wasn't the chief? And so I asked in response, well, if, 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 if the chief is concerned, I mean, you know, does the chief agree? Is this redundant or not? I wasn't able to ask that question. You were. How did the chief respond? When we went into the Alderman Stamper conversation, he said he didn't know the details of that conversation um, that he had and um, what context it was given in. So it, it seemed like he still wasn't filled in on it. And then he'll, he says that he um, is open to these discussions. We'd have to look at the details, and I haven't really saw the details of what they're actually uh, asking for. But again, we're open to the discussions, and uh, there's also the eight can't wait. And in reviewing some of the things that come out with the eight can't wait, there's a lot of that that we already are applying or have applied in our policies. If the chief of police hasn't been briefed on the details of this call for a very specific policy change, that would seem to indicate some kind of communication issue, wouldn't it? I, I will actually step in and say that I, I heard him to say something a little bit different there. I heard him to say that he was not aware of the details of what they're asking for. And in, in part of my reporting, I think that's maybe one of the questions here. There are no details in that resolution in terms of exactly what they're asking for, other than that phrase, I can't breathe, being sort of a trigger. It's up to the Fire and Police Commission, as I understand it, to develop what that specific policy would be. And so far, there really hasn't been any discussion that I've seen publicly anyway 
of a detailed policy. And perhaps that's what he was getting at, not trying to defend the chief here, but to say, I, I, I heard him to say, I just don't know what those details are. So there's not really much I can say at this point. He certainly didn't volunteer. Which would seem to be its own issue, right? If, if calling for change without any specifics for what that change is. Um, oftentimes, when we're referring to um, the actions that, that come out of different situations, sometimes it's more about making everybody feel good than it is having a, a substantial change or substantial discussion about that change. And that's not to suggest that there aren't details someone has in mind, but it's not at least in the public record yet as to what those details would be. And perhaps that's what the chief is referring to. Again, I, it, it, he may have had a more detailed discussion along the way and, and, and is not being fully transparent about that. We don't know. It seemed to me from that conversation, though, he at least is saying, look, I'm open to talking about it, but I don't know exactly what they want this policy to look like. That, that's that's what I heard from it. But I mean, I, I think there's still a lot left to interpretation right now. And, and Aaron, you didn't get much more clarity than that, it sounds like. Yeah, definitely. No, I, I did not. Uh, there was uh, also a discussion while we're talking about police policy. Um, part of police policy, of course, is crowd management tactics. It's actually a very new policy. Milwaukee Police Department did not have a policy about crowd management until really coincidentally, a few months before all of these protests started, mid-March is when that policy went into effect of, of this year. And there has been criticism about the tactics police have been using during these protests. The protesters say that police, they feel like police are escalating things um, and they feel like police are taking overly aggressive action against the protesters. Police have been saying, we're trying to keep the peace here. Aaron, what did the chief have to say about those tactics? When asking about the tactics and the criticism that the department has faced um, during different overnight incidents, the chief basically said that they're evaluating everything. Uh, That's the situations that entire week. um, They're being looked at. Um, They're going to do a deep dive, the police chief says, and they're going to review the entire process. And he says what he means by that is after an action report, there's an after action report. And that is something that they haven't gotten back yet. So that action after action report is going to depict what they did well and what they can improve on. He still stands by how they responded, what they were dealt with, and it's something that they're going to continue to evaluate. Something that really stood out to me overall with this interview, Aaron, was that the chief seems to have expressed repeatedly and continue to express that he feels like the police department has come a long way. They've done a lot to mend community relations, to improve community relations, and that they are now paying the price for the sins of another department or the sins of the actions of officers in another department. And I use sins intentionally because of his references to the crucifixion and other things earlier. He seems to suggest that, look, we were doing okay, and now we're paying the price for what happened somewhere else. Do you get the sense that he sees this as an unfair evaluation or attack on on his department that they've done nothing wrong here i i think people would definitely take that away from my interview and i think you know many police chiefs would feel that way i think it's such a circumstance what happened to george floyd in minneapolis and there's a trickle-down effect that's happened um you know across the united states and police departments whether it's in milwaukee and other cities they're being faced Uh, You know, they're under a microscope. So I definitely think 
um, people would take that away from my interview. Aaron, I, as, as you know, I am currently working on uh, looking into 2020 and, and what a spike we've seen in homicides across the city. Uh, it's not just a slight increase. We've been looking at roughly double the number of homicides in 2020, the first six months of the year that we saw in 2019. Did you ask the chief uh, or, or the assistants who were there about that and what sort of response did they get? Do they have an explanation for why we're seeing such a dramatic increase in homicides in the city? Yeah, so the chief had just left and I talked to the um, assistant chief, Paul Formolo about homicides and you know, 2020, they say we've had these anomalies. We had a mass shooting at Molson Coors. We had a quintuple homicide. We had a triple homicide. So those three events make up for 13 homicides. The pattern that we saw even beginning in 2019 was a uh, rise in um, uh, domestic violence and um, intimate partner relationship violence. And those are contributing to our uh, rise in homicide numbers as well. We're about to hit July that we've just been seeing more and more and more. So police are aware of it and uh, they are working, um, again, they say to, to snuff these numbers down and to work with community groups and organizations on them. But um, it, it was really surprising to see these homicide numbers go up. Um, but they do mention those anomalies that we faced. If you look at the pace we're on right now, now there's nothing to say that the pace will continue, but I think we're, we're in the 80s at this point. Uh, a number of homicides, uh, depending upon whose numbers you use, the, the police have one number, the medical examiner's office has another where they include things that include self-defense and officer-involved homicides. Uh, but, and I say homicide in terms of the medical term, meaning a death caused by another, not necessarily a, a criminally charged case. But we're, we're in, the, in the 80s, you know, another six months of this, we got 160 homicides. That's, that's a, a huge number. And while it's true you've had some of those big events, the, the Miller Coors shooting, uh, mass shooting, obviously a big one, the quintuple homicide we're talking about, those add to the numbers, but they don't explain the entire increase. And it, I guess it remains to be seen how much of this is due to people who are stuck at home together because of COVID, how much of this is people who are out of work right now and maybe have more time on their hands to get into trouble. Those may be factors, but uh, one way or the other, we're certainly seeing some, some pretty big numbers there. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on that. And I, I think this year we've been faced with a number of different factors that we had, what we didn't have in 2019, 2018, when it comes to COVID and people being at home and people being out of work and so much frustrations. Um, so it is something that we're going to have to continue to look and keep our eye on. What are you looking toward next? I mean, you you got in as many questions as you could, Aaron, but, uh, you know, at the end they had to, to cut you off there. They said the chief had to get to his next appointment. So is there anything you wanted to get to that you didn't get to ask or that you are looking to follow up on over the next few weeks? You know, I feel like I could have talked to the chief for a month, right? We There are so many questions and follow-up questions, and now I have more questions um, something I didn't get to connect with him about was um, there's a local group asking for his resignation and there has been a number of calls for his resignation. We didn't get to the resignation part and the stepping down part and, um, you know, what it would take. Um, so, so I would love to get that on the record with the police chief. Did you it didn't I, I didn't get the sense anyway from the interview. I don't know what you took away, but he didn't seem to be a chief who sounded like he was someone who was defeated and ready to ready to walk away from the no. job. If there are calls Not for his resignation, bit, no. he certainly he certainly didn't appear to be entertaining them. 
No, he has a vision for the department. He is motivating officers. He is um, thinking far in advance. So I definitely would say he's not thinking about resigning. Thank you, Aaron, for joining us this morning. I know that you put a lot of time and effort into preparing for your interview with the chief, and we're glad that we were able to show people uh, a few additional parts that maybe they didn't get to catch on TV and and give some context to those questions. So hopefully it's we won't go another few weeks without hearing from the chief. Hopefully we'll have more of those opportunities, but we do appreciate you taking us through that. Thank you for having me. It's always a great time to be with you both. And we're going to continue bringing you more frequent episodes of Open Record as we cover the issues with unrest in Milwaukee, the ongoing protests, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic. If there's a topic you want us to discuss or an issue you think we should investigate, please send us an email at theinvestigatorsatfox.com. That's T-H-E investigators at fox.com. Thank you to the people who make this podcast possible. Producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and Sarah Smith. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm Amanda St. Hilaire. And for Brian Polson, we will be back for our next regularly scheduled episode on Thursday. Thursday.